Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing Augustine and the Pelagian Controversy by B.B. Warfield. Written in the late 1800s, Warfield's informative work explores the relevance of Augustine's opposition to the Pelagian heresy. The primary issue for Augustine in the controversy that ensued at the beginning of the 5th century was the nature of man's will and the necessity of God's grace. So sit back and prepare to have your heart and mind engaged as we dive into Augustine and the Pelagian Controversy by B.B. Warfield. again and welcome back to the Ardent Archives. My name is Pastor Drew Bieber and I'm one of your hosts. I'm here with my co-host Pastor Josh McDaniel and we are very excited to be back discussing another book with you uh, here at the Ardent Archives and this time we're discussing the book Augustine and the Pelagian Controversy by B.B. Warfield. Josh, always a pleasure. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was kind of taking a nap after you know reading the third chapter. Sorry about that. Sorry. So if you if you haven't looked at the 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 time length yet of those chapters, that third chapter it is a four hour, it is a four hour, and it's a blessing and it's good, but it is a four hour listen. Yes. So this was a and it's um, my voice you're listening to. So I am apologizing up front. Yeah. Let let me apologize um, for for putting you through that. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but but this was a very um, this was a very difficult book to work through, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit um, here. But this book is about five hours in length, mm-hmm. and four of those hours are spent on one chapter, which is amazing. When you get to think about it. I mean, yeah, yes. that that third chapter it was a bear, and that one was hard, man. Uh, you know, there were a couple of words that that uh, you and I both scratched our head at, and like. What, oh, huh? And we, we was, yeah. How do you say that? There was what a lot of mean? pausing and, and Googling. Uh, what is that word? How do you say it? What does it mean? And so it was, it was a lot. And this is, this book is uh, quite different than all of the other books we have, we have done. Uh, specifically, uh, well, in, in a few different ways. So when we look at the books we've done, we've done On the Incarnation, we've done The Pilgrim's Progress, we've done uh, Assurance by Charles Spurgeon, as well as um, Christianity, Christianity mm-hmm. and, and liberalism. And so this book differs from those books. Uh, number one, uh, even though it was written by Warfield, it's not actually Warfield's work that we're looking at. We're actually Warfield as a scholar is analyzing Augustine's yeah, work. Yeah, he's kind of, he, he and, compiles and, Augustine, and, and is, pulls in a lot of his work. Yeah, he's, he's sort of looking at and analyzing these this historical controversy, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that none of the other books looked at. Obviously, all of the other books have historical significance took place um, in history, but even like on the incarnation, that was really uh, Athanasius' work. It was Athanasius' and, and it was work, him yeah. sort of in his own, uh, you know, in his own words explaining, um, you know, the the details and the theology behind the incarnation. Yeah, it was his own voice talking in exactly, his own way. Exactly. Warfield is is trying to, I guess, also use Augustine's voice. You know, yes, not just yes. his. It's it's a scholarly work, and it it reads like a textbook, especially that third chapter. It's that very third much chapter, a text, very a, much. A textbook. In fact, uh, there's a lot of times where he quotes Augustine at length, and I go into another one of my silly little voices, you know, uh, to to try and distinguish. Because I mean, the person who listens, they can't see the quotation marks. Right. So I try and it to, would be really frustrating to be quote blah 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 end quote. 
and yeah. then and then and then read some more end quote blah 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 end quote especially although, when it was like although a short now little phrase. I kind of regret that I didn't just go quote all the time end quote <laughs> right. quote end quote because that that would have not annoyed the re- the reader or the yeah listener that would have been far less irritating <laughs> yeah but it also differs in, in that like I said this is really a scholarly analysis of historical events which is not something. Uh, that, that we've really done as far as, Mm-mm. you know, uh, this podcast uh, goes. And so it was um, this is one of those books that I'm very glad we did. Mm-hmm. But I don't think if we had done it, I would have ever read this book. I don't know if I would have made it through that third chapter if uh, we had not out, done this. Outside of um, it would have been potentially, a you know, uh, yeah, using it as a reference if I was, <clears> you know, studying this particular thing or writing a paper then, yeah. then at that point I might have looked at this but outside of that this is not the type of book you, you pick up and go hmm I want to grow in my faith so let me read Augustine in the Pelagian Controversy by but Warfield. the subject right. matter is is I mean it's very very enticing when we oh, announced that this was the book that we were going to do the slide came up in the church and they saw it there were a couple of people audibly who went like huh like oh, oh that that's good. interesting yeah. yeah and it is good it is good but it's a textbook and so it 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 reads like a textbook yeah. and it, it feels like hey it's a it is a uh, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant yeah and you're just gonna you're gonna get blasted with it and it's gonna come in hard and it's gonna come in and it's gonna re- be refreshing but you just be ready for the impact yeah. of it and, and 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 in that sense I'm actually very glad we did it because like I said I don't know if I would have approached that uh, this book outside of this particular context. And not that, you know, I necessarily want to engage in projecting, but if I'm not going to approach it, I can't imagine other people would approach it either. Um, But in a way, we're giving people access to something that they otherwise would not have Mm -hmm. spent any Mm -hmm. time with. That's right. And and obviously, because it is, um, you know, it's it's a book by Warfield, who who is an incredible uh, author, an incredible theologian. And also it deals with the history of the church. That means it's important for us. Yeah. Because... Um, God has been working in time and through history in his church. And we are, um, in a manner of speaking, we're really crippling ourselves if we remain ignorant of God's work throughout our own history. Which is why Warfield spent such a, a large amount of time compiling this together, putting this together. And I think it's that in that vein, in that spirit, so to speak, that I think it's appropriate that, you know, our introduction is not going to be about Warfield. Warfield wanted to compile this thing about Augustine and Pelagius. And so I I feel like we would do a disservice if we went in and and talked about B.B. Warfield as the author, even though he is the author. Right. right. I think he's trying to shine a light on Augustine. And so I I think that we really need to say, hey, we need to look into the life of Augustine for this. Absolutely. And, so, and, no, so normally in these introductions, we spend time talking about the author of the book, mm-hmm. kind of giving you some information on on their background, um, as well as the background of, of the book. But because, again, this isn't really Warfield's words and Warfield's voice, he's really trying to uh, uh, give you a window into uh, Augustine's life and give you a a, a look at his works and, and his words. Um we decided that it would be best for us to really, uh, rather than focus on Warfield, but but to focus on Augustine specifically in this introduction. And plus, we plan to cover other Warfield books in the future. And so, at that time, we will give Warfield a a proper uh, yeah, we have the not proper ex- introduction that we he have deserves. not exhausted Warfield at all. No, not no. at all. And uh, yeah, I certainly think um, he is. You know, obviously, you know, the last book we covered was Christianity and and liberalism by Machen, and Machen was actually a student of, of Warfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of very significant things that, that Warfield did 
not only just in his own work, but in influencing uh, the generation that came after him, namely yeah. in, in in Machen. Yeah. But uh, but like you said, we're gonna we're gonna sort of uh, put aside Warfield for for the the sake of this conversation, and we really wanna wanna look at who Augustine was. And, and let me the make this statement to his, to also, his life. Yeah, yeah. real quick. Uh, people have have long debated, not debated maybe, but there are there are some schools of thought that call him Augustine, some who call him Augustine. We yeah. went with Augustine, all right, and 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 uh, and that's so. But you might listener, you might call him uh, Augustine. Hey, that's fine too. Yeah, it, and you might be right. You might I, be right. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. So it, typically, <laughs> the way it is, and I think this this fleshes out kind of well. The scholarly intellectuals <laughs> call him Augustine. I feel like scholarly intellectuals is kind of an oxymoron, especially I, today. I, I it probably is, but I think it it, it showcases hey. We're calling them Augustine. We're we're going ahead and lumping ourselves, and we ain't that. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're, not, we're we're just regular regular folk. I yeah, we are we are absolutely just regular. Uh, but that, I wanted to make that statement up, up front. You've probably heard him or said Augustine or Augustine. They're both right. Yeah, we went yeah. with Augustine, and it's consistent throughout. Yes, yes, absolutely. That was the one thing we wanted to make sure we did is that whatever we chose, whether it was whatever pronunciation we chose, Augustine or Augustine. We kept that the whole time. That's and right. So we did. So and we, we still do. We 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 did for Augustine. I'm not so sure some of those names got the same reading every single time. Yeah. But we gave it a really good try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well. <laughs> yeah. I've got to go back and re- and and re-listen to it to see. Uh, I think there was a few names. Uh, Olypius. Zosimus. Yeah, there was a Zosimus was a big one. You know? I, th- I think there was a couple times where there might have been an extra syllable or an extra a couple S. of syllables. Yeah. So, so this is this is this is that's right. Uh, but Augustine, he was born in 354 A.D., which is interesting to me because Augustine's such a huge champion of the faith, but he comes after some of the biggest councils that we know from church history. Right. You right. know, but uh, boy, what a controversy he fought when he was when he was alive, when he was around. Yeah, but yeah being born in 354 in Africa and in uh, uh, Hippo, he's Augustine of Hippo, and uh, he. Grew up and his so mom. So he was a hippopotamus. Farmer. He was. He was. He was a hippopotamus. Is that what that means? That's right. You guys can take that to the bank. Augustine was a hippopotamus. No, a hippopotamus farmer. I said. Oh, that's Augustine even better. Hippo, yeah, he that's was a hippopotamus farmer. Yes, yeah. he was a hippopotamus farmer. That's a joke. It was that's a sarcasm. Sorry. It was. It was a dangerous job, but someone had to do it. <laughs> uh, so his he actually had an interesting home life. His dad was an absolute pagan, but his mom was a Christian. And so his mom prayed for him fervently. She made sure that he understood her faith. Uh, but once he got a little older, he did not follow in the Christian religion. Uh, once he got kind of old enough to, to kind of branch out a little bit, he, he, uh, he did not follow his mom's guidance. He followed his dad's uh, roots and started slipping into more and more egregious of a lifestyle. Hmm. Uh, and so it's it's interesting when you note that that's the guy that we've talked about as this huge champion of the faith. I mean, and it's, it's remarkable how God uses him. It's remarkable how he 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 does what he does. Um, well, and his you know his particular origin story is not 
is not so different from a lot of the origin stories we read about in in the scriptures. Right. Where, uh, I mean, the most famous one I can think of is Abraham, who was just some sort of random pagan that God called and said, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And it really just goes to show that the... Um, you know, the beauty of the gospel is not that uh, we have these sort of, um, you know, uh, figures who are, you know, righteous and perfect and, you know, mm-hmm. beautiful on the outside. But no, the beauty of the gospel is that God, uh, God's salvation and his transformative power takes even the most vile of pagans mm-hmm. and makes them uh, champions of the faith. I mean, another good one is Paul. Paul was a oh, persecutor yeah. of the church, and he wrote majority of the books Man, in the New Testament. He, he uh, and he was saved mightily by God, and he was yeah. saved for God. You know, and it was an incredible thing. So Augustine falls in line, you know, with with men who you see as an example. Hey, they were able to live righteously for God, but it was not their righteousness. It was a righteousness that was given to them by the power of God. Right. Uh, interestingly enough. Uh, when he grew up, at the time there was this there was this belief so it was called Manichaeism, and it's addressed a little bit in the book, just in in small doses. But uh, Manichaeism was was big in that time, and uh, and Augustine fell into Manichaeism a little bit, and and in Manichaeism, basically the the uh, one of the key beliefs. Is that you've got this? Uh, you've got this powerful God. He's opposed by an evil power, the devil, and there's this dualistic philosophy that divides the world between good and evil. Basically, matter is intrinsically evil, and mind is intrinsically good. Mind yeah. is godly. Matter is devilish, and so. He fell into that, but it was during this time that he was a pagan. He loved the things of the world, uh, the lusts of the flesh, and he made an interesting, famous prayer before he was a Christian. He said, God, give me chastity and grace, just not right now. (laughs) And so, which I mean, if we're being honest, I think whether consciously or unconsciously, we've all prayed that prayer. We have before. all prayed that prayer. Yeah, because at, at, at the end of the day, save if, me from my sins, but not right now. Yeah, I'm enjoying if, this if, one. If we're honest, we all want to go to heaven. We just don't want to live for God while we're here, while we're in our sinful state. Right. You know, right. and and that's where Augustine was. He was in a sinful state. He recognized there was a good and there was a bad. Yeah. He recognized he wanted the bad. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we hear that kind of stuff, you know, the deathbed conversions, you know, I'll just, after I've had my fun, I'll have, I'll, 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 I'll give my life to Christ then. And, and, and that's not how this works. Um, right. And, and I, and I like what Doug Wilson says on that point. He says, we have one, if you can put it that way, one deathbed conversion in the scriptures. And that was the thief on the cross. That's right. And he says, we were given one so that no one may despair, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we're given only one. So that no one may presume mm-hmm. that we can simply, oh, just we can live sinfully and and enjoy our sin as much as we want. And right before we die, we can say, oh, oh, God, just save me real quick before I die. Yeah. And so I think I think that's that's a very powerful way to put it is that yeah. we are given one so that no one need to spare that um, you're too far gone. It's too late for mm-hmm. you to lay hold of your salvation. But we're only giving one so that no one may presume that. Oh, we can just wait to the end. That could and be my plan. Yeah, That's my as long as as long forward. as I raise my hand mm-hmm. at the you know just before I, I die. Hand. 
then uh, then I'll be good to go. You know. Yeah. Uh, he did. However, he was converted. Uh, Augustine was converted. And it was uh, from Manichaeism, from paganism. It was much to his mom's name, which I think her name was Monica. If I, if I remember correctly, it's been a little bit since I've, I've looked into Augustine's earlier life. But uh, he was saved one day, uh, and he attributes it to he hears a voice. It was the voice almost of a child. And the voice of the child says, go read the book. Now, I don't know what this is. It could have been something sent to him from God. You know, it could have been something that, that he heard in his ear. You know, it could have just been that he was in a town and, and there were children playing and a kid yelled out, go read the book. In any case, Augustine took it to mean, go read the Bible, go get the Bible. And so he went and got a copy of the Bible and he began to read it. And Augustine was converted while reading the scriptures. And that's such mm. a powerful and remarkable testimony that, you know, we we do recognize that the normal means by which men are saved is, and Christ says it, you know, or the, the Bible says it, how are they to hear if no one preaches? And how are they to preach if no one is sent? The primary right, right. way is through the preaching of the gospel. Well, but it's even, the gospel of God that is the power Right uh, of salvation, right, and it's the and that gospel is contained in the scriptures. That's right. It's remarkable that he didn't hear some sort of preacher miraculously, you know, uh, bring the text forward. It was the text alone, that, right, that, right, that did it. And and what a powerful and amazing thing to realize that hey, though God has involved us in His plan, we're not necessary for it. Right, right, <clears throat> and, absolutely. Uh, and so Augustine, he goes and he he uh, sells all of his worldly possessions. Um, he decides that he wants to live only for God. He doesn't do it in the Manichaeist sense, you know, because he thinks all of his worldly possessions are evil. But he sits there and says, I've been using these for nothing but evil. So he right, goes and gets right. rid of them, but he does keep his house. And Interesting. He converts his house into a monastery almost instantly. And so immediately he starts trying to, to, to bring people into the faith. And so he, re- he was not a Manichaeist. He did not look at all materialism as evil because yeah. he recognized, I'll keep my house and it will be used for good. And he kept other things and he used it for the glory of God. And, uh, and, and he recognized that. But he did say, hey, I've been using things of the world for very worldly, fleshly things. Yeah. I'm going to get rid of those. Well, and, and I mean, and we see that, um, you know, we see that, that sort of mindset today. Uh, yeah. a lot of people, um, perhaps it's, uh, uh, you know, your job. Well, I've, I've been a slave to my job and I've been a slave to earning money and I have rather than worshiped God, I have worshiped. Uh, my ability to make money. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a step back from my job and I'm going to, I still need a job. I've got, you know, I need to pay my bills. Yeah. I need to yeah. uh, provide for myself. If you have a family, I need to provide for my family, but I'm not going to put my efforts towards this job in the same way I used to, because rather than using it now to serve myself, I'm going to use it to serve, to serve God and his purposes and where it doesn't serve God and his purposes. I'm going to go ahead and, and eliminate that. Yeah. You know, same thing with, you know, with just about anything else. Um, you know, maybe it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's a particular hobby. Um, maybe it's, you know, certain, um, you know, certain entertainment you like, you know, obviously that isn't sinful, 
Um, but, uh, you know, if you have spent all of your time and all of your money on collecting comics, uh, re- really just to make yourself. Hey, was that know, a shot at me? Was that a shot at me? Hey, we're both, we're both nerds here. So <laughs> it's a shot at anybody except both of us. But, but, but you know what I mean? If, if, you know, I, I'm, I'm worshiping this thing rather than worshiping God. And so I'm going to, uh, you know, if, if I can't enjoy these things that are not in themselves inherently sinful, um, if I can't enjoy these things without sinning, then I'm just not going to enjoy them, you know? And I think Paul talks about that in, in Romans where he talks about, uh, the conscience of the believer, you know, what's good for one may not be good for the other. And, and neither can, um, you know, unless it's, unless it's actually like labeled as sin by God's word, we can't really hold that against each other because, um, each man needs to live according to his own conscience right? as, as revealed in God's word. Obviously right. he went on, he was, he was a smart dude. Augustine was a really smart dude. And, uh, and, and I mean, it, when you go through and listen to the book, you'll, you'll catch that. Yeah. Um, now I will say this at the outset, he, his theology was not, his theology was not perfected. His theology was not. And there's a couple yeah. of times when, when uh, I was reading it, or I imagine that when we were reading it together, there were a couple of times that, hey, I read things I blatantly disagree with. Oh, yeah. Absolutely disagree with. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the way he looked at baptism yes. and what infants do, you know need and what it does for infants. And, and, uh, and so, you know, y'all, when you listen to the book, understand our reading that does not condone that. We recognize sure, that sure. that is a an error. That is something that his theology he he didn't get to. He didn't understand. It was yeah. not perfected. Well, and that's um, a that, and that's a good thing to to point out is that you know first of all, sanctification takes time. Yeah, and certainly theological sanctification mm-hmm, mm-hmm. takes time. And when we're looking at history in particular, we um, we often engage in what. I think it was Lewis, C.S. Lewis, called chronological yeah, snobbery. Chronological snobbery yeah. Is we have the benefit of um, enjoying the fruits of two thousand years of church history. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. so we look back and we judge historical figures such as Augustine based on the sort of position we're in now. Yeah, and yeah. we don't we don't stop to think. Well, if I did not have all of this history to pull from and all of the, all of this history, church history to learn from. And I was in Augustine's position. Would I have espoused the same thing? Yeah. And so it's important to recognize, especially with historical <clears throat> figures is that especially historical figures in the church, they are a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, and in particular with Augustine, uh, both Protestants and Catholics like to lay hold of Augustine and like to, and like to claim yeah. him and say he's ours. Um, but, at the end of the day, the question is not whether uh, Augustine aligns more completely with Protestantism or he aligns more completely with Roman Catholicism. The question is, how does Augustine square with the scriptures? That's right. That's right. And we should let that be the judge. And we can certainly say, when it comes to his theology of baptism, based on the standard of the scriptures, Augustine was wrong. Yeah, he was. When it came to Augustine's theology of the church, his his ecclesiology, we can say based on the standard of the scriptures, he was in error. Mm-hmm. And so we we have to be careful that we don't completely just throw people out because they don't align 100% with our position. Uh, right. But at the same time, we need to let the scriptures be the standard. Um 
for them as well as for us. That's right. And and we need to learn from historical figures. We need to see what their context was, why why they believed the things that they believed, and then we need to take ourselves and measure ourselves up against the the scriptures and take them and measure yeah. them up against the scriptures and let that be the standard yeah. and be content with the fact that, you know what, even though their theology wasn't perfect, God still worked mightily through Augustine and through the work that he did. And he's still and, doing that. Yeah. And our hope is, is that, you know, we would never claim to have perfect theology. Right. Uh, and our hope is that despite the fact that we are not perfectly sanctified in terms of our theology, that God would still use us. Yes. To, to influence the church you yes. know, rightly. Yes. And so we've, that's a very good point. We have to be careful that when we're looking at history, we recognize their mixed bag and we don't simply, well, he was wrong on baptism. So we're just going to, we're going to chunk him. And, you and know? Warfield well, he, covers he's, that. A, he, he's a baby baptizer. Why would we believe him? It's right. like, we're Baptists. We don't believe him. We don't listen to baby baptize. It's, it's just kind of dumb. It's like, that's, you're willing, willfully making yourself ignorant of history and That's you're right. uh, essentially putting a wall up and saying, I, I have nothing to learn from these people that God used in the context of his church throughout right. history. And Warfield addresses that in the fourth chapter. He does kind of talk yeah. about, you know, the, the reality that, hey, I, Warfield himself, I disagree with where he is. Yeah. He, he lists, you know, several moments where he would disagree with him. But he says, but Augustine stood proudly on the doctrines of grace. Yes. And he stood absolutely immovably upon the reality that we are saved by Christ and Christ alone. It's by God's grace and grace alone that we are saved. Yeah. Now, again, it gets convoluted because he looks at baptism in a weird way. He looks at 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 free will in kind of this odd way in, in the way that it is. And 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 he and the language well, again, sanctification is not there. Take, yeah. t- takes time, but, and so it's like he had he had the right foundation. Yes, but for whatever right for whatever reason in his life, he did not understand how that applied to something like baptism, yeah. and, and, and he, so it never worked its way out there. But thankfully, we can see throughout history it did work its way yeah, out. Yeah, we we were able to, see and we've benefited that. from that here, yes. sitting here today as Reformed yes. Baptists. Yes, he was made the Bishop of Hippo about 395 or 396. There's a little bit of discrepancy which year he was, um, but he was made Bishop of Hippo. And man, he began to work when they were they were kind of a poor people, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's while he's while he's uh, in in Hippo um, that we start to hear this smattering of Pelagius, but we don't know anything about his earlier life. Yeah, we don't. And, you know, Augustine does a good job kind of bringing you into um, the controversy, explaining kind of uh, where Augustine came from. Obviously, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time dealing with his early life or anything like that. But when um, but when Augustine speaks of, of Pelagius, he says the first we hear of Pelagius, um, he is already advanced in years, living in Rome under the ardor of sanctity and enjoying a well-deserved representation for zeal and exhorting others to a good life. And so, like, we don't we don't really have any sort of origin story. Yeah, uh, he doesn't start becoming for Pelagius. Known. It's like we only see him as an mm-hmm. adult, and we 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 kind of see him as an adult. It's around three eighty uh, is when he starts becoming known, but his controversy doesn't start becoming uh, very prominent until even a couple of years, ten years after that or so. Uh, but around 380 is when you get the idea that, hey, this guy is around. Yeah. But you don't know anything about him um, because, like like you said, he's an adult when we start hearing about him. But his influence starts to get wider and bigger, even a little bit later than that. 
And so we find these two guys, Pelagius and Augustine, and they find themselves on opposite ends of the spectrum. Right, right. Now, Augustine's kind to him, and he's unwilling at first, and even towards the end, I would even argue a little bit, he's unwilling to just just absolutely just thrash Pelagius. He wants to be gracious. He wants to be kind, but he wants to tear apart the heresy that Pelagius is espousing. Yeah. Um, and uh, Augustine was actually kind of cautious about labeling him mm-hmm. uh, a heretic he he at the was. beginning. Again, a lesson we can learn just because somebody is uh, sort of headed the direction of error doesn't necessarily mean they're a heretic. Um, And we should, uh, you know, recognizing our own sin and our own shortcomings and the ways that we fall short in terms of understanding uh, uh, God's word and understanding theology, uh, lest we get thrown out of the church, we should be careful to throw anybody else out of the church. And so he was kind of cautious and really, you know, wanted wanted to understand where he was coming from and and really understand what he was saying before he would say okay this is this is absolutely incorrect and this is heretical right right he wanted to make sure that the he wanted to make sure that the heresy was teared down before he tore down any person if he could at all possible uh, if it was if there was only possibly for him to do that he wanted to do that um and so kind of as you know and and you'll 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 get a sense of this, you know, uh, when you listen to the book and everything like that. Augustine stood upon the doctrine of grace. Right. And Pelagius would have said he stood upon the doctrine of grace. But they had very different definitions of grace. Very, very different definitions of grace. Uh, Augustine recognized that grace was of God and God alone. That God could grant grace so that people could be saved. Pelagius kind of had this idea in, in maybe some of the layman's simpler terms now that grace was given by God, but it was given by God at the beginning so that we could either do good or evil on our own. Right. That we had the power. We had the ability to do it. And that was the grace of God. So for a while, Pelagius and Augustine argued for grace but you kind of get the sense that, hey, they're saying the same word, but they're not saying the same thing. Yes, you know, yes. and 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 it took a little bit of Augustine. Augustine had to had to get some more of Pelagius's writings before he was able to figure out he's doing something with the word grace that ought not be applied. Yes. Yeah. And that's why it's important to really define your terms, mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, kind of the obvious example is when you're dealing with the cults. Right. We all say Jesus, the the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they all say Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, But when they say Jesus, they mean something very different than when we say Jesus. Right. Uh, When we say Jesus, we're talking about uh, the second person of the Trinity, the the uh, eternal God, the word that was yeah, uh, co-eternal with the father, right. the only begotten son of God. Yeah. There's so many things. But when the Jehovah's Witness say Jesus, they they mean something entirely different. different. They mean Mormons God's well. first and greatest creation. Mm-hmm. They mean mm-hmm. the archangel Michael. They don't mean the second person of the Trinity. That's In right. fact, they would deny the Trinity as as, right. as sort of a true summary of what the scripture teaches about God's own nature. Same with the Mormons. The Mormons, yes. when they say Jesus, they just mean, you know, he they was, mean the he brother, was the, they mean the brother of Satan. Yeah. That's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we have to define our terms and we have to be careful that just because somebody says, oh yes, of course I affirm God's grace. Well, what do you mean when you say yeah. grace? And the Reformation is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, 
you know, what we sort of, what was kind of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? What was sort of like solidified in the Reformation was not the necessity of God's grace, but right. the sufficiency right. of right, God's right, grace. Right, it right. wasn't that, because at the time, you know, the Protestants and the Catholics said, of course, God's grace is necessary. Mm-hmm. But the Protestant wanted to say, and it's sufficient to accomplish mm-hmm. all that it intends mm-hmm. to accomplish. And so that's, and so, you know, thankfully, again, as God has worked throughout history, we've been able to clarify the issues with with more uh, precision and more detail. But we have to be careful Again, when we're saying the same things, we're all talking about Jesus. We're all talking yeah. about grace. We're all talking about, uh, you know, all, all of these things, and really, we're meaning something entirely different, right? And Pelagius is, uh, I guess, redefining of grace skirted under the kind of skirted under a lot of people's detection for a while. Augustine caught it, but he, Pelagius was even taken to a council, an ecumenical council. Yeah. And he was actually kind of put up there to, you know, to be examined. It was a farce of a council. None of the, none of the prominent, you know, bishops could make it. Augustine was not there. There were a lot, and, and, and none of them who called him could actually show up. And so the ones that were there, they just kind of they kind of asked him questions, and and he was able to say and stand upon grace and God's grace, but it was not the grace of God as defined in scriptures. He was able to stand upon his own definition of God's grace. And this ecumenical council actually said, "Well, he's he's orthodox. He's okay. Right, right. He's and saying the right. He's saying the right words. That's right. He 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 checked all the right boxes. And so it maybe can be argued." That if the ecumenical council had done its job then, like it should have, Pelagius would have been snuffed out far earlier. Sure, sure. But because they said he is orthodox, his heresy was able to penetrate far further than maybe it would have been if it had just been snuffed out early on. And so Augustine, you know, starts reading more of Pelagius' own works, yeah. and he demanded that. He said, well, I don't want to just take— He said you know, at one point, too, that it wasn't—and I think Warfield, you know, quotes him as, as saying this. It wasn't uh, his teachings that were vindicated at this council, but he himself who right. was vindicated. But he was vindicated. Right. Yes, and yes, so the, yes. the teachings, right, were, were heresy then, mm-hmm. but his teachings weren't on trial. He was in, in, in a manner of speaking yeah. because, because he used the right words. Well, they vindicated him and they mm-hmm. said he's orthodox, yeah. even though what he was teaching clearly wasn't right. And, and so he, he skirted kind of underneath the, the noses of these, of these people in this ecumenical council and man, his, his, I mean, I, I think grasp might even be an okay word, but his grasp of people, because he was very zealous and he was very attractive in the way that he would go about and he would talk to people. And man, everybody, even today, if if you can throw out the term free will, all of a sudden everyone starts going, yeah, 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 yeah. They thumbs up the term free will. And his use of the term free will gave power to the individual, hey, you have the power in your free will because God graciously gave us our powerful free will. You can, you can actually at some point become sinless. Right, right. He actually believed and taught that a person could so work out their own salvation and sanctification that they could become sinless. 
in fact, that he he disagreed with the with the doctrine of original sin, which we have Augustine to thank for really kind of. Uh, really kind of solidifying that. Right. Well, um, and and again, God working throughout history, it was sort of the uh the battleground of this controversy mm-hmm. that really gave rise to yeah. the uh true biblical understanding of what original sin was. And that's the case throughout all of church history. Absolutely. You know, in, in all honesty, none of us will ever sit there and say, well, thank God for heretics. You know, none of us will look yeah. at, at a, oh, at a wolf sure. in sheep's clothing who deceives the masses. None of us will look at that and say, thank God for them. But we will look at those heretics, and it is so often that God raises up a heretic so that he can sovereignly and gloriously squash him, and we see the benefit of that. Yeah. So we don't glorify or we don't we don't we don't praise God for heretics, but we give glory to God for squashing them, for putting them under his foot, so to speak. Because we as as believers, as the church, and you and I as pastors, yeah. yeah. We get to look at that and we get to say, Thank you, God for giving us that opportunity. Right. Right. Well, you know, uh, one of the things, you know, kind of in that vein that I think of, you know, scripture says that your baptism now saves you. Mm-hmm. And we would 100% affirm that because that's what it, it says in the scriptures. Right, right, right. But it's not until somebody comes, uh, the heretic rises up and somebody comes and says, well, actually, it is your baptism that causes your mm-hmm. regeneration. That mm-hmm. we go, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, we need to be a little more precise because, yes, we agree with the scripture, your baptism now saves you. But your baptism is not what causes regeneration. It's the right. Holy Spirit that causes right. regeneration. Right. And so... But it's not until the controversy arises that we go, oh, well, maybe we need to be a little more precise in the yeah. way that we define these things, in the way that we, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, understand this particular passage yeah. and the way we explain this particular passage so that we're not leading people into the error of believing in baptismal regeneration. Right. You know, and so, it, like you said, we don't praise God for heretics, but at the same time, we are thankful that it is through sinful heretics that we are able to come to a more uh, uh, accurate, a more precise understanding of what yeah. God has laid out in his word. Yeah. And, and, and God through his good pleasure has raised many, many heretics yeah. up to prominence even during the history of the church. And he's been pleased to squash them and to unite godly men and women to come together and they have all stood up and they've all stood upon the scriptures. That's the key element. Yes. They've all stood upon the scriptures. And Augustine is no different. He yeah. stood upon the scripture. And and when you read some of the quotes of Pelagius, and and let's be honest, Warfield compiles Augustine's writings far more than Pelagius's. Sure, sure. But when you read the quotes of Augustine in this, you get a lot of it's his opinion or it's his uh, very zealous uh, you know, cry. There's not a lot of scripture involved. You're talking about Pelagius. Pelagius. Okay. But when Augustine, when he's quoted, man, it is it is constantly going back to the scripture. Yeah. All the time. It's bathed. It's dripping with the scripture. And it's pointing to Christ. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's what every person who's ever been in a fight with a heretic, that's where they find safe ground. That's where yeah. they find safe passage. It's not upon their own, uh, I guess, ability to speak or outperform the winnings of that heretic. It's because they stand on a much 
sturdier ground. And that's what Augustine did. Absolutely. Um, he fought that fight almost his entire time as a bishop. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that takes, you know, it's, you sit there and think, well, why did it take so long? And part of it is because it there was, was just, no Twitter. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. There was no internet. There's, there's some of it that's just because there was Pelagius not even a, a and, Pony and Express. The, and the heresy. That's right. <laughs> there wasn't even a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, part of it is just because that, you know, I mean, the, the heresy was so ingrained and it was so winsome that, that people just wanted to believe it. Right. You know, so right. there's some of that, but also for him to write a letter to go to all these different people, man, it would take months and months. Yeah. And then for him to get a response back would take months. So, I mean, we're talking years that this controversy goes on. Well, but and you're talking about from, from Africa time. to Rome to Jerusalem. Yes, like yes, in yes. this whole region, you're talking about writings, penned out yeah. writings. It's not like he could just pull up a Word document and print it and then send it. No, he had to write it in his own hand. And he also and would request. It had to be sent. Yeah, he would also request along the way. Hey, you know, he'd get a letter saying this is what's been said, and he would say, "I need to see all of it. I need to see right, the context right. of it." So then, there's more time for that to come in. You know, so I mean, the world was very big. different. It was it was different. It was kind of so to speak bigger at the time. Everything took longer in this bigger yeah. world. You know, in that way. Now because of you know, the internet because of, I mean, telephones, because you know, you, you name it, the world's kind of gotten smaller. Yeah. Things go a lot quicker and it's, it's a, things can be resolved at a lightning pace, which I would say can quote be resolved. Yeah. Not, it, can, <laughs> it can be quote resolved. But I think one of the reasons why it's only quote resolved is because we don't take the time that the other church fathers did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, because we live in the internet age where I can communicate with you in, you know, seconds, mm-hmm. um, even though you're miles away, uh, we think that, well, these, you know, any sort of controversy or any sort of disagreement should be resolved that quickly too. Yeah. And it's, well, no, those things take time. Yeah. And, you know, Augustine lived in a time where, uh, regardless of how quickly they may have resolved it, it was going to take time anyways, just yeah. because of the sort of the way the world was. But, I think you're absolutely right that there's a sense in which because things took a longer time, they spent more time dealing with these things. Yeah. And because we don't expect things to take a long time, we don't spend time really wrestling through issues. And so things, yeah, I would we say- We put it to I, bed far too early. I would agree, 100%. We put it to bed way too early and we don't recognize, hey, there was a fallout here that was a lot deeper than we initially understood. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we don't become champions of- uh, uh, we don't become champions against heresies as often as we ought to because we don't spend the time laboring over them for months and years. Yeah. We have yeah. maybe at best, we've got two interactions through an email, you know, that, that took instantaneous, you know, and, and we're kind of done. Yeah. We've said what we wanted to say and we're kind of done. Well, and like we've said already, sanctification takes time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we often think that, um, our own sanctification is not going to take time. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. God doesn't need months or years to sort of work out this particular theological issue in my life. He's worked it out already. I'm good. Right. And so right, we, right. we, we, we think again, engaging in chronological snobbery, we think, well, I'm good. I don't really need to wrestle with these issues, uh, because you know, sanctification for me, it doesn't take time, but for everybody else it might, you know? Right. Um, and so we look down our noses. <laughs> right. Yeah. For, for all those other people, yeah, that, it takes them a little while. And so we look down our noses at others, not yeah. recognizing that like 
you know, maybe God intends for us to really wrestle with this before we come. And who knows, maybe our conclusion is correct, but because we haven't wrestled with it, we hasn't really uh, sort of settled in our own hearts and in our own minds. There's a difference between knowing the answers to the test and knowing how to get the answers to the test. Oh, for sure. And so, you know, the, one is uh, one is preferred over the other. Yeah. Both get you to the same result, but one of them you actually grow, you yeah. know, to have. And and so, um, you know, I, that's, a, that's a, very, a very simplistic illustration, but it's maybe helpful here, uh, you know. And Augustine wrestled uh, with this controversy to the end of his life. Yeah. By the time he was at the end of his life, he Pelagianism was really done away with. Pelagianism was 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 defeated. It was gone. But then at the very end of his life, semi-Pelagianism started really starting to rear its ugly head. And before he could before he could really engage in that one, he did he did pass away. Uh, and uh, we might get to this at a later discussion, but I mean, semi-Pelagianism is still an issue today. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Warfield kind of mentions it at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. You know, he says, um, you know, as far as Pelagianism proper, yeah, Augustine kind of handled it really well. But as far as it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, offspring, Mm -hmm. uh, semi-Pelagianism really has kind of really settled in the Roman Catholic Church, which is kind of uh, ironic when you think about it. Yeah, it is. But it even has made its way into, you know, Protestant circles as as well. We're looking at you, United Methodists. Yeah. Right. Whew. Hey, I hope I don't get in trouble for that. <laughs> if we bro- haven't gotten in trouble already, my, I think we'll be fine. My, my brother's a United Methodist <laughs> pastor. So. And we do hold that against him. We do. <laughs> we absolutely do. Um, but this was a good read. Tough read, but a good read. A worthwhile read. Um and I enjoyed doing it. Oh, I absolutely. really did. Uh, I look forward to uh, more works by Warfield for sure. And I, I've really enjoyed learning the things with Augustine and seeing his writings kind of compiled in a, I guess, in a systematic way yeah. that uh, you don't get the benefit of of having unless someone like Warfield comes along and does the work for you. Today. Right, right. And we're certainly thankful for... Uh, you know, despite having disagreements with Augustine, we're we're thankful for God's work in Augustine's life in the history of the church. Yes, and not only that, even though we would have some disagreements with Warfield as well, mm-hmm. um, we are thankful that God raised up someone like Warfield to sort of compile all of Augustine's works and all of Augustine's thoughts and all of Augustine's efforts in this controversy, so that we, you know. 100 years removed from Warfield, but certainly, you know, thousands of years removed from Augustine, we can still benefit and learn from his work today. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion of Augustine and the Pelagian controversy, and we hope that it has been edifying to you and your walk with Christ. Now, this conversation is by no means exhaustive, so we pray that our discussion leads to meaningful conversations with friends and family as you contemplate the infinite magnitude of God's saving grace. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcasts at northclay.org. For more information from North Clay Baptist Church or from the Ardent Archives, visit our website at www.northclay.org. We look forward to learning with you again soon here on the Ardent Archives.